everyone and welcome to the year ones the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party causing all your friends to question hey who invited you like seriously why are you here I am your host, Michael Montalvo, and for the next few minutes, we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes it a truly unique. On this episode, we examine the events that occurred April 29th. To be a true bohemian, Moulin Rouge tells us that we must hold true to the ideals of beauty, freedom, truth, and love. And that makes sense in the world of rant which was based on the opera La Bohème. It's a time-old tale of a group of young bohemians struggling with disease, first from tuberculosis in Giacomo Puccini's La Bohème, an illness also seen in Moulin Rouge, and then HIV-AIDS in the more modern daytime of the late 1980s in Jonathan Larson's Rent. I've mentioned three shows so far, but we're really only going to talk about one of them. To know about Rent, though, we are going to have to talk about Jonathan Larson. Larson was born February 4th in White Plains, New York, and by all accounts I could find, he was a child of the arts, spending his time in drama clubs and music lessons. Larson wanted to become an actor, but someone, somewhere, encouraged him to compose. Who was that someone? Stephen Sondheim. Stephen Sondheim of Sweeney Todd, Into the Woods, and of course, West Side Story. Larson had written to Sondheim asking for feedback on his work, and this led to a mentorship, which I have read and written here that Sondheim's influence is most evident in Tick, Tick, Boom, and most apparent in the song Sunday. Now he's composing and is achieving early success. He actually won the Richard Rogers Studio Production Award and a Stephen Sondheim Award in the process, but despite this, Larson really lived in poverty, waiting tables. There is even a story of him selling his books so that he could purchase a movie ticket. In fact, it's said that two months before the play Rent opened, he dreamed of earning enough money to afford cable. And this was in line with the characters that he was writing. He lived in a rundown apartment, and he was a struggling musician looking for his one song of glory. The musical Rent began to take shape when Billy Aronson, a playwright, came up with the idea to create a musical based on Puccini's La Boheme. When he asked Ira Weitzman for collaborators, he was paired with Larson. Jonathan Larson, though, wanted to make his own thing and asked Aronson permission to do so based on the concept that they had worked on and was granted permission to do so with the agreement that they would share profits. Overall, Jonathan Larson would work on Rent for seven years to bring the rock opera to the stage, but on January 25, 1996, on the morning previews of Rent were set to begin, he died in his home from an aortic aneurysm. It is now believed that this was caused by an undiagnosed case of Marfan syndrome, which affects connective tissue. People who have this are typically tall and thin and have disproportionately long arms, fingers, and toes. 
but this syndrome can be treated with medications. Medical investigators determined that had it been properly diagnosed, he would have survived. The cast and crew made the decision to stay on schedule and performed the show in a seated position until the song La Vie Bohème, when the cast could no longer contain themselves and performed a full production of the second act. At the end of the show, the audience sat in what has been described as a long, extended silence until an audience member yelled out, Thank you, Jonathan Larson. The show would officially begin previews the next day, but the year was 1996, and on this day, April 29th, the musical Rent opened at the Nederlander Theater. The show sold out its five-week run in 24 hours and would go on to win three Tony Awards for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, and Best Original Score. So, what's the story of Rent? There's going to be some spoilers here. Act 1. Mark and Roger are in their loft. Mark is shooting a documentary and Roger is playing guitar. They keep getting interrupted by phone calls, first from Mark's mother and then their friend Collins, who is then mugged on the street, and finally by Benny, their friend and owner of the building, who is demanding they pay their rent. The power goes out, and they get angry and sing the titular song. We learn Mark's girlfriend, Maureen, left him for a woman named Joanne, and she is putting on a one-woman show that night, but is having equipment issues. Collins, who was mugged, is helped by a street performer named Angel. We learn they are both HIV positive, and they head out to a support meeting. Mark agrees to go help Maureen's new technician, a lawyer, and her current girlfriend, Joanne. He had asked Roger to go, but he refused. Roger is depressed because his girlfriend killed herself when she learned that she had AIDS. He tries to write a song, but can't find the music. Mimi, a neighbor, shows up and asks to have her candle lit, which is not a code for sex and actually a thing she needs. They are attracted to one another, but Roger pushes her away. She loses her drugs in the process and returns to look for them, eventually finding them in Roger's back pocket. Collins and Angel show up with gifts, and Angel explains how a rich woman paid him $1,000 to play the drums until her neighbor's dog barked itself to death. Benny shows up and agrees to forego rent if they can stop Maureen's protest show, but is unsuccessful in doing so. Just as Mark, Collins, and Angel are unsuccessful in convincing Roger to go to a life support meeting. Mark goes and fixes the sound issues and has a heart-to-heart with Joanne and then goes to meet Collins and Angel while Mimi tries to seduce Roger. They kiss, but she is again rejected. After the meeting, the trio roam the streets and dream of a better life while Collins and Angel express their love. They all meet up at Maureen's show and while there, Roger apologizes to Mimi and asks her to dinner. Maureen finally shows up and puts on her show. Then they all go to the live cafe, including Benny, who declares Bohemia dead. They perform La Vie Bohème, and it is revealed that Mimi and Benny have a history, which Benny threatens to reveal to Roger. Beepers beep, a reminder to take AZT, their medication, and Roger and Mimi confess to the other that they are HIV positive and vow to be together. Maureen keeps sending Joanne away, though, 
to check on the equipment, and Joanne finally has enough and ends their relationship. Benny then goes and locks up the building, calls the cops, and a riot ensues. Act 2. A week later, they all break into the building. A TV producer is desperate for the footage of the riot, and Benny crashes the break-in party. He alienates Mimi and Roger, and dejected, she goes off in search of her drug dealer. Here we skip forward to Valentine's Day, and Roger and Mimi are together. Collins and Angel are off on their own adventures. Maureen and Joanne are rehearsing a new show. We skip forward again to spring. Roger walks out after a fight with Mimi. Collins nurses a sick angel and Maureen and Joanne reconcile, as do Mimi and Roger. Now in summer, the TV executive still wants Mark for her show, and Mimi and Roger and Maureen and Joanne break up. Angel dies and is remembered. Mark finally accepts the job, and Benny offers to cover the funeral expenses for Angel, as well as offering help for Mimi. Then a fight breaks out in the cast until Collins interrupts and remarks how their family is breaking apart. Roger leaves to Santa Fe to write his song, and Mark turns down the job in favor of working on his own project. We have one final time jump, and it's Christmas again. A year has gone by since the start of the show. Roger has returned with his song but can't find Mimi. Mark has a rough cut of his film and he's going to show it that night. Collins shows up and has rigged an ATM to dispense money by using a special code. And that code is ANGEL. Maureen and Joanne suddenly arrive carrying a dying Mimi. Roger sings her a song and then she dies and he shouts out her name. But then she awakens, having had a guardian angel watching over her. The company gathers and they sing the final. The show Rent would go on to run for 12 years and 5,123 performances. There have been countless shows performed of it, including on the high school level, and a film version of the show was released in 2005 that brought back most of the original cast to perform, including Anthony Rapp and Frozen's own Adele Dazeem. Wait. Sorry, that's not right. It's Adina Menzel. It was even parodied in Team America World Police. Since Rent and Larson's death, a performing arts foundation was founded in Jonathan Larson's name, and his work was given to the Library of Congress. According to a 2016 Playbell interview, Larson's sister Julie said, So much of Rent is universal, and sometimes it gets missed, because I always say the wrapping of AIDS and drugs and gay lovers can seem distasteful to some people. They don't really see the real messages. Other than the discussion about AIDS and all that, the bigger messages are, to me, about tolerance and inclusion and community and being present in your life and hope. Those things are very universal, whether it's downtown New York in the middle of the AIDS crisis or any other time or place. 
And that's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review that helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you are watching this on YouTube, you can find the audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.